Lovers, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. We all know that there is more to confidence in the bedroom or the kitchen or the sex club or a stairwell or the woods or wherever you are. There's so much more to sex wherever you do it than just jackhammering away. But if all you're missing in your relationship is some mutually beneficial stiffness, check out BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office with the doctors that never got trained in sex ed and how to talk to people about it, plus no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet pack. They say that there is nothing sexier than confidence, and Blue Chew can help give you confidence where it counts. Of course, I know you sweet listeners know that using confidence to connect, if you can be confident enough to be really vulnerable with someone, to communicate, to create a safe space that you occupy together, that is super hot. That's the foundation of a connection. And if you have a boner, that can definitely help you do certain things that you know that I love, just as long as you don't skip all the other stuff too. Blue Chew and I want you to have better sex. Discover your options at bluechew.com. And as they say, chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOVER. At checkout, you just pay $5 shipping. That is bluechew.com promo code LOVER to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And thank you to Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Hello, lovely humans. I'm Wild Lee, and you are listening to Sex Stories, a podcast where we discuss our most personal details, learning from one another how to lead better laid lives as we make the world a sexier, more loving place together. Our guest today is a 33-year-old white, gender-fluid, trans-polyish single person. They are into armpits, butts, cuddling all night, and... They turned their dating profiles into a song, which you can hear at the end of this episode. A consent educator and intimacy coordinator from Los Angeles, California. Welcome, Mia Schachter. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So if you had to rate yourself on a sexual shame-a-meter, with one being completely shameless and ten being so full of shame, where do you fall right now, and when, if ever, does it fluctuate? I think like a two, okay, or like a 1.5, or I guess one because zero is an option. I sometimes say stuff and then I'm like oh wow maybe that was like recently told my parents that I was listening to not even about me I was listening to a podcast about poop friends and you know the history of like shame around poop and then I was like I now have friends who get paid to poop on other people and they were like okay (laughs) and like pushed me out the door (laughs) it's like right I have to remember like where I where I am because it pretty much to your question like doesn't fluctuate. I'm open to talking about this stuff kind of with anyone at any time. And I have to kind of sometimes remember my audience. Have you always been that way, historically speaking, or has it changed? And is it related to your work? And is it the same in your personal life? I think as an adult, I've pretty much always been this. Like once I started having sex, I've pretty much always been this way. Okay. But I feel like I do what I do the way that I do it because I am this way. One of my superpowers, I'd say, is like being able to have really complex conversations or like conversations about really complicated things in a way that's like very simplified and like 
approachable and accessible. And I think that's apparent in like the way that I talk about a lot of consent stuff. I write like I speak. I don't use a lot of like flowery language. And I'm able to take like pretty complex ideas and concepts and like distill them and then explain them in ways that are like really easy to digest. And I feel like when it comes to sex and stuff, there's a similar thing, but then it includes a way of like, and this is like, I think a really valuable asset as an intimacy coordinator that I can talk about things that generally are stigmatized or like can make people feel very uncomfortable in a way that is pretty casual and down to earth and kind of get us out of that stigmatized mindset around it. Just make it feel very comfy and casual. That's fucking beautiful and such a skill. And I hope to absorb as much as possible from you in this conversation. Because I actually think I have the opposite gift of like taking something very, very simple and then just like thinking about it so deeply that it like winds into the whole wide world. Mm. So that's really cool, which is, you know, it has its own merits. I get a lot of, I call it noodling. I like to think about stuff out loud together. So, mm-hmm. okay, you mentioned being very single. What is your sex life like right now, though? Well, currently, I'm having more sex than I've had regularly in a long time, which is still very little, but enough to remind me that I'm a person in a body and I feel pleasure and I get to feel sexy feelings. Yeah. What would your ideal be? My ideal? I mean, I really am looking for romantic and sexual partnership, someone to like build a life with. I'm a cancer. I have multiple cancer placements mm. and I've dated, but I haven't been in a relationship with any kind of like consistency, like going on five years. Same. And I think as we back up, like I'll explain the context for that. But in terms of like frequency of sex, I mean, I like to have a lot of sex. So I think like ideally it would be like every day or every other day. I'm also like my dream of dreams is to like wake up next to someone else every day. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Big cuddles. What would you say you love most about your sex life right now as it's happening? I think I've found myself like having sex with friends again in a way that I did a lot in my twenties and it felt really nice. And I thought I was like kind of done with that, I guess because I was really dedicated to finding like a partner. And by that, I mean like someone who really wants to like do life with me. And then I found myself sleeping with someone in New York who I like a lot and care a lot for, and we have really good chemistry, but like they're not going to be that person. Mm -hmm. But like our sex is really fun. And then I'm also sleeping with someone a little bit occasionally in Los Angeles. And like, that's another situation where I'm like, we're friends and Mm. it's really nice to get to do this with you. So that's been fun. I think like what I like most about my sex life right now is that it's kind of like opening me up to more dynamics in which being sexual feels good to me. Amazing. That's awesome. Okay. This is a new question. I've never tried on anyone it's what I call noodle fresh. So we might okay. have to fix it or noodle through it. You're or you can throw be the like, spaghetti at me and see if it sticks. I use the term noodle to keep people from thinking I'm being judgmental and like I have an idea. I'm like, no, I'm just noodling. And sometimes it's fresh noodle dough. Sometimes it's a pokey uncooked noodle. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. spaghetti at the wall. This one's just past the dough stage. <laughs> How, if you could put it into words, would you say sex meets your social intimacy and or connection needs? 
Oh, for a long time now, I think I've understood sex as like one of my many artistic mediums. It feels like a mode of self-expression and very creative. That's like now on my dating app and didn't make it into the song. (laughs) Okay. There needs to be a second song probably now Yeah, at this point. And I also think of like creativity as a form of connection. And that's like an idea that I got from Kay Tempest's book on connection, which is like, I've read it three times in two years. I really highly recommend that oh. book. I love that. Is book. it just called Connection? Who is Kay Tempest? On Connection. On Connection. Kay Tempest, K-A-E. They're a British spoken word poet and musician, trans person. And they wrote this beautiful book almost like a creativity manifesto. <gasps> I need to read this because I oh, go yeah. around being like, sex is our original creativity. What are we doing? We got to do our creative stuff. Yeah. And they talk about creativity as connection. Like that's what it is, whether it's yeah. connection with yourself or connection with others or connection with like source or anything like that. I really like that idea because I've thought of sex as like a medium for artistic self-expression. For co-creation. Yeah. Yeah. Co-creation. And I think like, periods of my life when I have not had sex for long periods of time, mostly due to illness. It's like, not just that my body's kind of offline. It's like, I'm like missing this artistic channel. It's like, it's shut off and it impacts like my other creative worlds. Same until I figured out how to get like regular Mm -hmm. doses of sex in safe ways. I was going pretty crazy. Yeah. It makes me feel really like dulled. Everything kind of goes gray. Okay. So when you're having sex, you have those needs met. What would you say your best qualities are as a lover? (laughs) I've been told this is like a really sweet compliment once that I'm very graceful when I'm intimate. Mm. It's like really lovely. I think intimacy has been like a through line in all my work. And even when I'm not consciously going for that, I mean, I think I'm almost never consciously going for that. And yet it's like feedback that I get over and over you know, whether it's my music or my writing or plays I've written or anything that I do creatively, intimate is a word that comes up a lot. I think I'm a bit psychic. So, you know, obviously I teach consent and I like really value verbal communication, but I really love that point where you've gotten permission and kind of at a point with someone where like, you know, what's okay and what's not okay. And you can kind of just flow with it and like really be creative. And then I get to be psychic. I can often feel my experiences that I can feel with their feeling. And that can be, yeah, really cool for both of us. That is so cool. Okay, I have another (laughs) question just for you, which is a little off topic. Mm -hmm. But it came up in your song so much. I just would love to hear what does it mean to you to be in love? I think like I know that I'm in love when there's a certain kind of like the other person is like transparent to me in a certain way I can see them really clearly again like in a way where I start to feel like I can read their mind and that sort of psychic feeling is present a lot I think there's a feeling of connection I mean I think I feel these things like to a degree in all of my close relationships but when I'm in love I think it's like a certain depth of it or like a hue that it's sort of turned up like a, you know, saturation or something where it's like just up really high. And then I feel very seen also. Like I feel that that person really sees me and like can see 
what I feel and like what is true for me. Mm. Beautifully said. Thank you for sharing that. I've been really wondering this a lot lately because I myself am trying to figure out what romance is and what love is. I'm learning that I'm not truly not driven in either head or heart by a lot of the things that drive other people. Like what I feel as connection is different from a lot of Mm. people. I think this is what I'm deeply researching. And I've been wondering about it because sometimes I walk around and I'm all by myself, but I feel I'm like, wow, I'm so, I feel like in love with existence or the world. And I mean it in a very grounded way. And I'm like, but does this count as love? I don't know. Do I need another person to be in love? Sometimes I think yes. Mm. And I'm like, or is it just my relationship with everyone, everything? We are one. I don't know. But so anyway, I've just been noodling on it a lot, especially in a romantic context. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think I find myself like in awe all the time of just like flowers. Like what the fuck? We get flowers that just like pop up all over and they look like that, you know? And they open up to say hi and then they go to sleep and close at night. (laughs) Yeah. And they're like part of this thing that's larger than themselves, you know? And then I'm in awe of like my animals and I'm in awe of like, I mean, we get sunsets and- Yeah, I just, I mean, I really do like walk around so often, you know, I hear those, what people say about like, you know, stop and smell the roses. And I'm like, I do all the time. Like just, I went on a walk this morning and I was like, what? You know, we're surrounded by things that are just so incredible all the time. And it's really easy to dwell on things that are so horrible. So I do feel that sense. And I feel that oneness and that connection This also relates to illness. I sort of truly found that awe and like sense of oneness through illness and returned to Judaism several years ago. I feel that like with the world around me, I feel it with myself too. Like I've done a lot of work on, you know, my relationship with me and like, I am able to really feel that sense of like, I love this person a lot, like very, very much and very deeply. And I think there's Also, that feeling that I can have with someone who I also feel like romance and have sex with. And I'm a person who wants a family and like a home and someone to do that with me for like more than just practical reasons, though the practical reasons are getting more and more appealing also. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) So what does it look like when you invite a partner to have sex with you? Or give us the menu of options. Like, how does someone know that you want to get it on? I mean, I'm usually very direct. (laughs) I'm usually like, do you want to get in bed? (laughs) Or like, do you want to go be horizontal with me for a bit? Or do you want to roll around? You want to go feel each other up? (laughs) Like, I'm like, just really straight to the point. (laughs) I love it. Okay, so now what is sexy to you? And when do you feel sexiest? Someone who I've been sleeping with. I don't know. We were just sort of having this conversation where like there's this job that's like online, you know, sexting remotely type of job for sex workers. Before I knew what it was, I was like, oh, I might be interested. And then I found out it was that. And I was like, well, fuck, because I think that what I think is sexy is like not generally working for like most other people or people looking for that kind of thing. Because I feel like laughter is so sexy. Like if someone can make me laugh, I'm going to get turned on. I get turned on from like mental stimulation. So like a really Mm. good conversation will do it for me. Like a, I said tree conversations in my song. Like it feels like every conversation you have is like all part of the same conversation. It's just all kind of like branching out. 
like that'll turn me on. I've like gotten off the phone with someone where we're just talking about whatever and like been like, I have to masturbate. (laughs) I don't know, like goofiness, silliness, like good food. Yeah, like wholesomeness, like all that stuff. Feeling really cared for and nurtured, feeling really safe, feeling really comfortable, like all that stuff makes it really easy for me to get turned on and makes me feel sexy myself. Like if I can be really comfortable you know, I wear a lot of baggy clothes. Like I love getting in sweatpants. I've started being like, it's socks and Crocs o'clock. Like <laughs> we're just, you know, full relax mode. Like that's when I feel really sexy. And when someone else is like turned on by my comfort, I feel very sexy. Love that. And what counts as sex for you? That's a good question. I mean, that's something that I've been kind of trying to figure out. And like, as a queer person is kind of it's almost like it's like depends on not only what I think is sex, but like what the other person thinks is sex. Because if they think we had sex, then who am I to say we didn't have sex? You know, like if kissing for them is sex, then like, yeah, who am I to say that that's not what happened? You know, I mean, I've definitely expanded my definition of sex to include like, I don't know, like my favorite kind of sex these days is like, we keep our clothes on and just like dry up each other. Like, like teenagers. I mean, that that's clothes on. Yeah, that's something that, like, I think when I was younger, I thought no one else would be into. And so I would kind of, like, steamroll through my own comfort and boundaries. And, like, now, as a 30-something, I'm like, this is the cutest thing. This is my favorite. We can just, like, roll around and make out and, like, grind on each other. Amazing. I love that. Can you give us an example of a sexy, explicitly clear yes that you have either given or received that led to something super hot? Well, so with that partner, you know, loosely defined in New York on our first date, we were talking and sort of like leaning closer and closer and closer. And I could tell that they wanted to kiss me. And I just was like, do you want to kiss me? And they said, yeah. (gasps) (laughs) I love that. Yeah. And then we like got so hot and heavy at the bar that the bouncer was eventually like, are you okay? Kind of to just sort of be like, I think you maybe need to go home now. And we were like, yeah, we're good. And then we did go home. I think that was a night that clothes stayed on and it was super hot. Amazing. Do you feel comfy sharing what your health and safety conversations with partners are like? Yeah, there's like a funny thing that happened recently in that realm with that same person, which was that I went back to New York like a month or so later and brought a bunch of toys for us. And it was so easy for me to be like, I just got tested and my results all came back negative. How about you? Like super easy. And then when I brought up the toys, I got like all giggly and nervous and awkward. So I was really struck by the contrast of being able to be like, here's my health info. But I also brought these like funny, you know, like purple dicks for us. (laughs) I just couldn't, like I couldn't do it. Do you think they make more purple dicks in other colors? Because I feel like people talk about purple ones the most. And I see that. I see many colors. I also, by the way, hate the color of purple silicone. Like why is there only one color of purple silicone? I can't stand it. It's a very specific shade. (laughs) It's a very specific shade. And purple is my favorite color. 
And I hate this purple, but the majority of my sex toys are that terrible purple because when I go to the store, they're like, sorry, we only have it in this horrible purple. And so I take it. I don't know why they're all purple. (laughs) Is there other stuff you get shy? Like, I keep laughing because I'm like, I talk about sex all the time. I literally facilitate sexual conversations and discussions and openings up for other people literally daily. But then I still have these moments where like I recently made a partner a list of things that I wanted specifically for that partner for the first time. And I Mm. like went into a vulnerability, like giggle fit and was like, I'm shy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But you did it. I did it then. Yeah. I mean, there's also something like really lovely about that feeling of like giggly awkwardness, you know, like, oh, this is like telling me something about how I'm Mm. feeling. But I mean, that giggly awkwardness, like I get that singing that song that I sang. And you do. Oh, yeah. I mean, I never would have known. That's part of what that song kind of is about for me in terms of like its purpose is like to practice saying it and like meaning it and not being super awkward. Like, this is what I want. Is that okay? Okay. Is that part of being in love and or romantic like that discomfort? Mm. Or do you think? No, it's like the titillation because it's sort of thrilling. Yeah, I think so. Do you have moments of suddenly like driving up to the person's place or whatever? I don't know. And then suddenly wanting to just like leave and run away, but then you don't? Of course, that's just me. (laughs) Yeah, my own version of that, I'd say. I think there's times when I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going to (laughs) happen? But I also have like a long history of getting like so nervous before a date that I think I'm sick. Like I think I'm going to throw up. And so I've learned that that's part of like my kind of faulty neuroception where I'm like, I need to kind of push through it. You know, it's like my body's telling me that this isn't safe, but like my higher self is like, no, this is safe and I can show you and I'm going to like hold your hand through this and you're going to be okay on the other side. And then maybe you'll learn a little bit that it's so it like it happens less now, but it's still there. I've been dating for, you know, 16 years and I still get nervous on first dates. Wow. I don't get nervous until at the end of a first date. And then I'm like, oh, fuck, we went on a date. Now all the other things I have to decide. And, mm. and, and it's not true. I'm, I'm evolving ever. But okay, <laughs> tell us now, did you ever get a helpful sex education, an explicit health and safety talk lesson from an adult you trusted or a lesson in consent when you were growing up? No. I think the closest thing that I got to that was like listening to Tristan Taramino's podcast and Dan Savage's podcast when I was in my like early 20s. I mean, maybe I did and I don't remember, but I'm fairly certain I never did. I mean, I remember learning about consent and it was just kind of like, if someone says no, stop. And also that that was something that I wouldn't have to worry about from that side as a, you know, quote unquote girl. But like, right. I would have to worry about someone not respecting my no. And that I think creates this like really dangerous and harmful binary in consent education. Yes. And a very unhelpful paradigm for horny people and bodies like mine. Yeah. Who think like I literally grew up being told that it would be so easy if I wanted to fuck that I could just go out and get picked. And my whole personal story is about rejection and just getting rejected because I didn't have the social finesse to get a yes a lot, even though I was like, you know, eager and cute enough. So now take us through your sexual timeline, starting at the very beginning. What do you remember hearing, feeling, thinking, remembering first when it comes to sex and what were your formative experiences? Yeah, I think like the early years were like, you're going to have to protect yourself, basically. Yeah, like be careful. 
and you might get raped. <laughs> I was like kind of the way that the messaging installed in this hard drive or whatever. Wow. I remember learning what sex was pretty young. I mean, I think older than many, actually. Like, I think I was like eight or nine. And, you know, I just thought it was gross. Like, I was like, why would you do that? <laughs> and like, why do you have to do that to make a baby? That seems like a lot of trouble. <laughs> if I remember correctly, like, it was sort of dropped at the end by my mom. Like, and sometimes people do it to feel good. And I was like, what? Like, what do you mean? And then I was like, I was kind of a late bloomer. I didn't get my period until I was 14. And a lot of this, I think, does relate to like the health issues that I've mentioned. I was like very small and I looked very young for, I mean, I still look pretty young for my age. And a lot of this stuff, it felt out of reach for a long time. Like I was like curious about like sex and romance and dating at 14, 15, 16 but wasn't really doing much of it until college. And then the first time I had sex, I was a freshman in college. It was with someone who I didn't really care much for, <laughs> okay. but I like wanted to care, I guess. I was like, you know, on paper, this person is great, but I just like wasn't really feeling the feelings, but did it anyway. And then I did experience a sexual assault that was like very damaging I didn't recognize it as assault for like 10 years. Ah, yeah. Like I just sort of thought that what happened was like normal. And then like the anger that came after from him was also normal and was probably my fault. And so then I didn't have sex for a while, like a year and a half. Then I had a boyfriend who I really learned to enjoy sex with. It was like quite an awakening, I'd say. Our sex was like very playful, very exploratory and really fun. That was like a pretty short relationship. And then I had a boyfriend after that. I've like been queer dating for some time, but my like most significant relationships have been with people who identify as cis men or did at the time. It wasn't until a few years ago that I was like, I'm really putting intention to like not dating cis men. I describe it as like, if I don't actively swim against the current, like that is what will come my way. Oh man, I feel you so hard. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was like, it was a very conscious decision like three years ago now where I was like, okay. I'm committed to like actively swimming upstream. Okay. <laughs> Lovers, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. If you were listening to this, you are probably like me and you love sex. And you also know that fantastic sex takes more than just a boner. But if that's all that's missing in your connection with your partner, check out bluechew.com. Bluechew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises. You know, that's my favorite. The process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office, no dealing with the awkwardness that exists because physicians are not often given great guidance about how to talk about sensitive personal things like boner softness, plus no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet pack. With Blue Chew, penis owners everywhere are excited to see the postman because when your package has arrived, your package has arrived. And you know I love a good package. And I have to say, am I allowed to say this? It was very hot when I had a partner who I already had a good, trusting, open relationship. 
He'd been working on his anxiety, cutting down on screens, meditating, he quit smoking, he started exercising regular, cutting out processed foods, all of that stuff. He was just of a certain age, and I'll just say, the night that he told me he was making his package arrive, it was a very super hot extra layer of turn-on for me personally. So if it's for you, this is a super convenient resource. Blue Chew wants to help you have better sex. Discover your options at bluechew.com, chew it, and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOVER at checkout. You just pay $5 for shipping. That's bluechew.com promo code LOVER to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And thank you to Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. That first boyfriend where you said you were like having fun and stuff, what age was that for you? I think I was 21. Okay. Okay. So like college-ish. End of college. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Got it. I think like one of the big epiphanies that I had in the relationship that was my longest and like most significant relationship was butt stuff. I was dating someone at 23 and he was really into butts. And like, I think before that, my understanding of like men who are into butts is that they just want to stick their dick in your butt. I was not aware that they like stuff in their butts and that there's like other things you can do with butts. So it became this thing where like he really wanted to eat my ass. And I was like, mm-hmm. what? You'd want to do what? <laughs> like that's something that you yeah. want to do. Like not just because you think it'll feel good to me, but because you actually want to do that. He was so stoked about that. And then he was like unbelievably stoked that I wanted to do that to him. And then, you know, like fingers and butts. And it was like this huge awakening for me about this like whole other realm of sex that I had not. I had just learned, you know, being perceived as a woman, it was like, you know, men are going to want to put their dick in your butt and there's nothing in it for you, I guess, was like kind of the way that I understood it. And like, if you want to be cool, you got to let him put his dick in your butt. And I was sort of like, why? What? Like, that's so I didn't get it at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, he really opened up that whole, so to speak, that whole world to me. So I'm very grateful to him for that. That's amazing. Also, I come from the land where like, butt stuff is just a loophole, you know, like you're still. Sure. Oh, right, right, <laughs> so right. That, that's the benefit. Damn. Wow. Wait, so that was how, early 20s, mid 20s? What'd you say? 23? Yeah, I was 23 okay. when we started dating and then we dated on and off for like six years. Okay. Have you had like partners who are into butts since then? Because I had a partner like I was always trying butt stuff, but then when I had a partner that was like really into it, I was like, oh yes. And then since then I've only had like one or two people casual, like I'm not a big casual butt stuff person yet. I don't know. Mm. Are you, what's your no, feelings No, butt there? stuff okay. for me, like the biggest surprise for me about butt stuff was that it's like the most intimate to me. Like it's yeah. so intense. It's such an intense sensation. And like, there has to be so much trust there mm. for me that like, it's not something that I do quickly or casually. Okay. I have done it quickly and casually with other partners that were like, but, and then it worked out fine, but it's just interesting. Cause like, I totally, I totally hear you on the intimacy. Yeah. Of well, what I'll tell you. And like, when you first asked me to be on this show, I was like, Oh, we're probably going to get to this, which is that I dated my boss at one point, And like the way that that kind of ended was like one too many fucking times. He stuck a dry finger in my butt even though I had asked for him to use lube like over and over and over again. And like the first time that we ever made out, he, without asking, stuck a dry finger in my butt. Um, So yeah, like didn't ask to touch my butt in the first place. And then 
didn't use any kind of lube whatsoever. And I was like, that's weird. Like, must have been an accident, right? Then it happened again. And then it happened again. And I was like, hey, like, you got to use lube. Like, buttholes don't self-lubricate. Yeah. Which you would know Micro-tear. if you ever touched your... Yeah, if you ever touched your own butt. Like, you would know this, you know? Yeah. But he just did it again and again and again. And it was like this weird thing where like we even hired a sex worker. I don't know. Should we go here? Why not? Yeah. Do this? Okay. It. Wait, I want to insert and just say, I know some people that like dry stuff in their butts because they're into pain and sensation and it's not the place to do it. Okay. You got to talk about it though. What you de- No, with a partner, definitely. But because they are into it themselves, they don't necessarily. But I'm like, no, those micro tears are real deal. So you got to be careful. I mean, I think this guy just had no idea what he was doing. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. But you hired a sex worker. Yeah, so his idea was to hire a sex worker to tell him what to do to me. I loved this idea. I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Super this excited about that. is my kind of sex ed, I will just say. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yes, please bring it on. She was a friend of mine. Or I said to him, you know, like I have this friend who I'd be really comfortable doing this with. So I called her and I was like, look, we're not in love. Like he's married. They're open. Like, you know, this is not a situation in which like, I want you to ask us to like gaze into each other's eyes and like tell each other we love each other. Like, please, none of that. However, I need you to know, I do like a finger in my butt, but (laughs) he has been sticking a dry finger in my butt, despite my asking him to use lube and it's driving me crazy. And I just want to make sure that doesn't happen. She was like, I got you. Like, don't worry. I was like, okay, great. So we get to it. She guides him to go down on me. She guides him to put a finger in my vagina and get it super wet. And then she guides him to like move it over towards my butt. And whatever this like mental block was for him, he interpreted that as that he should use his other Other. hand, which was like physically impossible. Like he's like propping himself up on his elbows. Like he can't. Well, maybe he was just backwards because you do have to be conscious if you're going ass to pussy, you know? I don't know. Damn. And he had already gone ass to pussy. And I was like, why are you doing this? Like, do you not know what a UTI is? So, and not that day, but like, that was a thing that I had to talk to him about. By the way, this was a man in his 50s. Yeah. Anyway, so then he tries to use the other finger. And I reach down and with like as much kindness as I can muster in that moment, I like, take the hand that's like currently inside me. And I'm like with this hand. And then he uses that hand. And then the next morning he like, I mean, there were a lot of things with this dude that were just like kind of really weird and out of whack in terms of consent. Like it just wasn't really like happening. And he wanted me to dom him. But the way that he was going about that was like by intentionally pissing me off. Oh yeah. It was a mess. But anyway, He woke me up the next morning by going down on me, which also was a thing that we had never agreed was okay. And then he told me, tell me what to do to you. And I was like, I'm like asleep. Like I just came to, okay. Like I'm not in a position to be like telling you what to do, but like, okay. So then I'm telling him what to do. And then despite it not being what I told him to do, he starts to go towards my butt with a dry finger. And I screamed Mm. lube, like at the top of my lungs. and. He said to me, I love it when you're angry or I love it when you scream at me. I don't remember exactly what he said. That sounds like the type of submissive I've encountered Mm -hmm. who truly just gets off on boundary pushing. Yeah. 
and there's a certain type. They're not a brat. They're not a. They're not a real submissive. No, they are just. They're just a boundary pusher, and that's a lot of people's unconscious kink. Damn, I'm so sorry that your butthole was exposed to that. How how long ago was this? Have you recovered? I've recovered. What did you do to take care of yourself? Did you have support? So that was it for me. Like that was like when that happened. I was like, this isn't happening anymore. Like I'm done. Yeah. And so that was like the last time that we slept together. But you know, it was like the kind of thing where. Like I was 27, you know, I felt like fully in my agency the entire time. And because it was like so clearly like this person being an idiot, (laughs) it didn't feel traumatizing. You know, it was violating, but it didn't feel like the kind of thing where I was like, you know, internalizing anything at all. It was just kind of like, fuck you. Yeah, it sounds like you were consciously going through the like, no, like this, no, like this. Okay, you're out. You know, like yeah, it sounds like you were like walking bye. through the process, watching it happen, just hoping it would get better. But damn. Okay, so let's balance that out with a little bit of like, what does your body love? What are your favorite asshole things? Like, what sensations do you get out of it? Have you had asgasms? Like, take us to your favorites. Gosh, okay, I am feeling a little bit of that flustery, like vulnerability thing. Oh, I feel because you. this feels very, I don't know, like revealing. Okay. One of my favorite things to do with someone that I am really, really like connected to and feel very, very safe with is to have them like put a finger in my butt just while we're making out. Oh yeah. Like just that. Cause it kind of just makes me completely melt. Just your butt? Yeah. Just my butt. And then they can put a finger in my pussy also eventually, or I will, or I'll touch my clit or whatever. Cause like I can come like that and it's like really, it's actually one of the ways to like tap into your parasympathetic nervous system, your mm. like rest and digest nervous system is to have a finger in your butt and you can feel it, you know, if you feel safe and if you like it, your whole body will just sort of melt and feel so incredibly relaxed. And so I feel totally, yeah, held and like, just like, bleh, yeah. you know. That time I do know. Most of the time when people say, you know, I don't know, but I really know that <laughs> I want to keep knowing details, but I also actually at this point would love to fill in when did you start like learning about consent at a level to teach it and intimacy coordination? And then when did you know that you were genderqueer? Like how did that all evolve? Yeah, I think it's like all kind of intertwined. I think before I had the language, I had a sense of being genderqueer for a good portion of my life. It's like things now I look back and I'm kind of like, oh, maybe this was part of it. Like I didn't really like dolls and I kept getting dolls because I thought I was supposed to. And then like not playing with them and like wondering why. And all my friends were playing with them. And Sporty Spice was my favorite Spice Girl. And like, you know, dumb shit like that. But then people would mistake me for a boy and I liked it. I think that was like the thing that now I look back and I'm like, oh, well, that's significant. Do you remember what you liked about it? Like, what was the feeling of that like? It must have been a sense of, like, feeling seen or, like, feeling like I have a secret or something. Yeah, like, I would smile and kind of, like, giggle a little bit, I think. I cut my hair really short in high school and was kind of like, oh, my gosh, like, this is what I'm supposed to look like. Like, there I am. Yeah. I remember in high school describing myself as a gay boy and, like, not really knowing what I was saying, you know, like now I look back and I'm like, oh yeah, like, cause you're trans. But at the time it was more like, haha, isn't that funny? And then I think there were things later in college, like once I started having sex, 
that at the time I thought like, oh, this is just misinformation that's like told to women, such as like, if you have sex with someone, you'll fall in love with them. And like, I was like, that's not my experience. Therefore, am I not a woman? Or like, we got to stop telling women that. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that women fall in love with people just because they're having sex with them. I think that's bullshit. But it certainly got me kind of starting to think about like, well, what is true? And then everything started to kind of unravel. I took a philosophy and feminism class in college and I was volunteering at the Blue Stockings bookstore in New York and starting to meet trans people and genderqueer people and like started to learn about they, them pronouns and stuff. And I think it mostly felt like it just was something that I understood so easily and quickly. And I remember reading, but I still wasn't like applying it to myself. I remember reading Eileen Miles' book, Chelsea Girls. And hearing them talk about being mistaken for a man, like quote unquote mistaken and how much they liked it and thinking like, wow, this is like the closest I've ever heard anyone describe something like what I experience around my gender. And then in 2019, I started training to be an intimacy coordinator. The way that that happened was that I was writing a movie with a friend about an intimacy coordinator. And then I, a show I was working on hired one and I asked to interview her because I was writing this movie. And then at the end of the interview, I was like, this is a perfect job for me. Like I am primed for this. Uh, I'm afraid if you tell me about it, I'm going to want to go out and do that too. And I'm already doing too many things. Well, now I'll tell you, I would not recommend it to anybody. I steer as many people as will listen away from it. Great. I'll just stick to making adult content. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lovers, we are going to take a quick pause for a word from our sponsor. And they have given me notes to do a sultry female voice. So I'm very excited and I'm going to do my best. Did you know the Flora app is a safe place to open up, embrace your desires, and find like-minded people? This is the story of one couple who found the threesome of their dreams, discovered a new level of shared passion, and stepped into a whole other realm of possibilities. All thanks to Flora. As life's routines settled in, Robert and Lucy found themselves yearning to explore uncharted territories. So they downloaded Floor and embarked upon a thrilling journey of sensual experimentation, learning more about each other's desires in the process. Open-minded and adventurous, Robert and Lucy dreamt of adding a new dimension to their intimacy, sharing the touch of another woman, being witnessed and connecting in a way that transcends the ordinary. In Floor's diverse and accepting community, Lucy connected with Emily, a babe craving the same experiences. So they invited Robert to the conversation. The chemistry built and anticipation heightened as they exchanged messages until finally their agreed-upon date night arrived. A gorgeous hotel was the setting for their evening of pleasure, passion, and connection. A shared exploration that fulfilled each party's desires. Floor App celebrates the beauty of open-minded connections. It's a platform where fantasies come to life and desires are embraced without judgment. For couples seeking adventure with others or individuals keen on exploring, Floor invites us all to a world where every desire is a possibility waiting to unfold. Download Floor now, express your desires freely, and find like-minded people today. But so, okay, so, so then I met an intimacy coordinator. She ended up training me. That was when I started to learn about consent in like this sort of full body, like ongoing, more comprehensive way. Part of what I had to do for that training was I had to go to a dungeon and we did like a consent 101 and then a flogging 101. I remember just feeling like my brain making all these connections and learning about trauma and learning about like, whoa, it makes so much, you know, you, before I had any experience with like BDSM or kink, I was like, those people are freaks. 
and they like to hurt each other. Like, what the fuck? And, you know, and, and, but I mean, now it's not I, inaccurate. It's not inaccurate. <laughs> There's just a different tone. <laughs> right. And then it's like, oh, of course, if you're going to do that with someone who you care about or like are invested in their well-being, you have to be able to create a container in which that can happen really safely. And I was dealing with all these health issues. Also, I got my diagnoses. You know, I equate the BDSM kink thing to like my experience in the punk scene, which was only tangential, like via people that I was friends with or dating. And it was like, I had always thought like, oh, that's like a really angry bunch of troublemakers <laughs> as a, like as a kid. And then, you know, in college and later in my 20s, it was like, actually, half of them are vegan, straight edge people. I'm like, a lot you know, of nerds. Yeah, <laughs> right. They all have cats. And like, they're all like really sweet, soft spoken people that have really healthy outlets for their anger. Like, how yeah. amazing is that? But so I got my diagnoses for like lifelong health stuff as I started training for an intimacy coordinator, like within a few weeks. And so as I was learning about like health and trauma and consent and like how to heal my body, it was all intertwined. I was learning about how to listen to what my body was saying to me, how it was communicating with me. I really had to repair the trust that had been broken by you know, capitalism, white supremacy, patriarchy, blah, blah, blah. Tell my body to just shut the fuck up and suck it up and like eat what everyone else can eat and be fucking normal. You know, like I'm a loser because I have to spend so much time in the bathroom after drinking a beer or whatever. Like, and then, you know, having this like complete overhaul of realizing like, oh no, my body has certain needs. They're different from a lot of other people's. And like, we're going to learn to talk to each other again. So that was how I got into consent. And Learning about consent as an intimacy coordinator, immediately my feeling was like, I have to bring this to as many people as I possibly can. Fuck yeah. Like beyond the entertainment industry, like I just want to spread the good word of consent because this shit is changing my life so fast in such positive ways. Like I just need to share it as widely as I possibly can. And then that became, you know, the Consent Wizardry account and like the work that I do now. Fuck yes. I fucking love that. Is it possible to give like a three-point highlight of what you want to bring to people most? Or is it better to just direct them to your work right now? I would love to direct them to my work, but I think there's points that probably set my work in consent apart from other people's work in consent in terms of like what my specific interest is within that field. It's mostly about consent with yourself, which I think is like not often how we're taught consent, you know, it's a way to relate to other people and to make sure you treat them well, but we're not so much being taught that it's also a way to get to know yourself and know mm. who you are and then make sure that not only are other people treating you well and that you're treating other people well, but that you're treating yourself well. That's one. I think the second thing that I'm finding that I talk about in my work a lot, and I'm kind of like in a moment in my work where I'm sort of going back to art and like merging my art practice with my consent work is that consent with myself that way and creating that sense of internal safety has led to such a boom in my creativity. I feel safe to fuck up. I feel safe to make dumb shit. I feel safe to like, you know, try and fail and try again. I know because I've seen it time and time again, that like, if I just practice enough, my body will learn and I will no longer have to think about it. So I almost never have that feeling anymore of like, oh, I'm too old to like start this new thing. I'm like, if you just do it enough, like yeah. you'll get better at it. You kind of yes. 
can't not, you know? Well, here's a question. Okay, that first one, consent with myself. To me, it sounds like there's a relationship between being clear on my boundaries and needs for myself. Is that, are those part of the ingredients? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, cool. What about, do you think the word consent is difficult for some people to hear? Like, how do you explain it to people? Yeah, it is really hard for people to hear. I mean, this is something that I am dealing with in all areas of my life. Like, I have a speaking agent who's hardly been able to get me any gigs because when he brings up consent to pitch me, people are like, oh, we already did our sexual harassment training or, oh, we already had Tarana Burke. And I'm like, what? Like, because what happens is that you say consent and people feel accused and they go on the defensive. Exactly what I was asking. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder, yeah. Are there other words that you've used or frames to explain what it is? Because I've been to so many play parties or just sex positive queer friendly spaces and they're like consent you know consent is important and and y'all gotta get consent so just make sure you're consenting and i'm like but could you guys each just like give us some like concrete practical guidelines and i'm you don't need to do that here for us but just in spaces i'm like guys could we do some definitions right but like what does that mean or like how do you actually do it because it's always like you want it to show up here yes and people conflate consent with permission so when they say like you know ask or get consent they're really talking about get permission And consent is like a way broader, larger thing that is really a practice and like a way of relating to yourself and to other people, a way of like attuning to not just verbal communication, but nonverbal communication, asking, checking in about like, what does that nonverbal thing mean when you do it? And then also like knowing that about yourself, because like a giggle can mean completely different things to different people, you know? You know, for some people, it's their fawn response. And for some people, it's like, I'm having a really good time. So being able to like, not only know that for yourself, but be able to communicate that to other people, ask them too. like, you know, when we first started doing this, you were looking right at me and now you won't look at me. Like, what does that mean? Because for some people, it means stop. For some people, it means I'm distracted. And for some people, it means I am like enjoying this unbelievably you know, and I think when you start to bring in neurodiversity into the equation, it's like you really have to learn what each of these, th- like it's an individual thing, you know, it doesn't oh, mean the I same know. thing for everyone. Yeah. When you look <laughs> away or when you break eye contact or when you make eye contact, like it's going to mean different things for every single different person. And I talk about that a lot with enthusiasm too. Yeah. Like your enthusiastic is going to look different from my enthusiastic and someone else's enthusiastic. And so we, it's not just enough to be like, make sure they're enthusiastic. And also, like, if you're requiring me to be enthusiastic, but I've never done the thing before, like, you're kind of getting in the way of me being able to try new things. Right. And then we get into the definitional use of enthusiastic in both the specific context of, like, the phrase enthusiastic consent and enthusiasm within a scene or a play session or whatever, you know, and it's a bunch of, it's a bunch of stuff. So I kind of lost the, what was the question? Oh, like, how do I explain what it is? Yeah. And you gave us a great relational framework of consent as an ongoing conversation. So for me, I'm really big into reframing instead of don'ts. Anytime someone's like, don't be like this or like, you know, if you're like, I'm just reframing in what the do looks like. So for me, my takeaway from your conversation, it is do continue to talk to your partners. Also, just stay updated. You know, it's funny. Sometimes I talk to people who've been together for a minute and they're like, well, I know what the other person likes. And I'm like, forever though like and yeah you're and you're in their brain as they change and like for some people that that is their mutual experience and i've definitely met and spoken with and been with couples where i'm like yep you are that in sync 
Mm. And then I, you know, I know enough to know that that's not most people, <laughs> just from my personal experience. In which case, I would love to actually get back to some of your personal details because we haven't talked about armpits or cuddling specifically. When did you discover that you were like into armpits? And like, how is it for you to like tell partners that? Like, are you ticklish? Is it your armpits? Is it their armpits? Is it all of it? Like, tell us. Well, okay. So for all of his like dumb mastery and putting a dry finger in my butt, that guy did teach me that I love having someone put my foot in their mouth. And I also love when someone makes out with my armpit. Like he did that. And I don't even think I'm pretty sure that he had said that he like had never done that with anyone else, but just sort of like felt like I would really like it and then did it. And I was like, whoa, yeah, I really like this. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something really intimate, obviously, about like something that we're sort of taught is gross and someone else is like really into it and like wants to, you know, lick it and touch it and shove their face in it. Like that's amazing. But also just the sensation is incredible. I'm like really, really sensitive to touch and I am ticklish, but something really amazing happens when I really, really trust someone and feel really safe with them is that I am no longer ticklish. I have a similar thing where my ticklishness will go away when I hit a certain point of arousal. Mm -hmm. And then other points it ramps up way high. So, Oh, interesting. Yeah. So mine is like, if I feel a certain amount of like trust with someone and I think it's part of like the psychic thing, because you know how like you can't really tickle yourself. Sometimes I accidentally have when I hit myself in a funny way, but normally sure. impossible, not on purpose. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like I'm now experiencing this like from your perspective. And so you can't tickle me anymore. And, you know, if you touch me like lightly, even then, I mean, I, the ticklishness just completely goes away. But yeah, like someone making out with my armpit is like I'm in fucking heaven. It's just wow. incredible. Wow. What about your other pleasure points on your body, like genital or otherwise? Like what else brings you just great, delicious joy? It sounds like physical touch in general and judging by the cuddling, like extent physical touch. Yeah, I sleep really well when I'm being cuddled. Mm. I mean, there's like some erogenous zones that I've discovered like more recently. That sex worker taught me about the sort of space like where my leg meets my crotch. Mm-hmm like that area I like. I had my vulva mapped by a sexological body worker and like learned that really like the whole outside, like, and this is like something that a lot of people I've found, you know, they like zero in on the clit. Like I, I like surface area, like cover as much area as you can. I'm like, touch all of me before you get there and all then touch it again yeah. before, during and after. Wait, go back though. You got, you had your vulva mapped by a sex what? A sexological body worker? You're giving me things to add to my research. Damn. Okay. Damn. I mean, well, that's probably something that would interest you more than intimacy coordination. I mean, all of it. Wait, can we hear why intimacy coordination sucks? I'm just curious. What I have found is that in this field that was created to combat abuses of power in the entertainment industry is itself like abuses of power are running rampant within the field. There's a lot of people trying to make a lot of money off of it when there's like not enough work for the intimacy coordinators that there already are. I started a training company and ended up leaving that training company for a slew of reasons. But one of them being like, I didn't feel good about trying to help people get into this field where there's still so much resistance to intimacy coordinators that can be really traumatizing. Like I have a significant amount of trauma that I'm still working through in like therapy and EMDR because of people who have made it extremely clear that 
my position was not welcome on their set. Mm, that makes sense to me. Just with my history as a regular world producer and my experience like as an erotic photographer and filmmaker, I'm like, that's an expensive job for you to do correctly, right? I would imagine. Yeah. But there's just people who feel like we're there to babysit them. Or again, the consent thing. It's like, if I'm there, it means that you've done something wrong. And so you need to defend yourself. And then within the field itself, like there's people really abusing their power and, you know, like self-proclaimed consent and like power dynamics experts who are engaging in like very coercive practices to make money. Okay. Well. That sounds like the rest of the world. Yeesh, we really need to do our own work to make it sexier and more loving. Okay, so what is a sexological body worker and how do I find one and get my vulva mapped? Do they look at it with their eyeballs or do you like send a picture? No, they touch it. They map it with their fingers and they teach consent. They like build safety and trust with you over time and then begin to incorporate touch. And then if you want to, they can map your vulva. And she literally like, you know, did it with her fingers and then like took notes and I have like a physical map of it. That sounds wild. What did you learn about your vulva? That I'm sensitive, like all over the whole thing. Like, it's not just like my clit. It's like, I'm like super sensitive all over my, what is it? The outer labia. Yeah, me too. Also, like most people I touch love just getting petted and touched and massaged around there. I've been really into massaging like hips and that joint lately because most people hold so much tension there. And then just making sure to like go around butts, not getting in any one butthole and warning them that I'm not going to go in their butthole without permission, but just playing with all the skin and the muscles there. Mm -hmm. (sighs) What else is important for us to know about your like sex life or sexual experiences? Well, the thing that I keep kind of circling around that I feel like is really relevant is that like after I figured out what was going on with my health, I went through like really extensive treatment and started to get better. I shot a TV show in Mexico and my health started to decline over the next three years. And this was like basically from the beginning of the pandemic until last summer. And so all these doctors were like, you know, you're stressed, drink more water, you know, do this liver cleanse. Like, take these herbs. Are you meditating? Like that kind of, you know, gaslighting that we get a lot from the medical community. And it was a lot of like, these old problems have just returned. And then July of 2022, I had like a week of violent illness and then shit out a tapeworm. Oh shit. Yeah. (gasps) So my sex life went dark for like two and a half years not entirely dark. Like I did date and there were a few people that I had sex with and, you know, I was like able to enjoy it, but it was like not the same body that I had remembered. And I was like, wow, is this just, you know, my thirties, like my libido's dwindling, like it's really touch and go. You know, I think this is just like, my life is just like dealing with this kind of illness and, you know, having to warn people that I may have to cancel the last minute. Like, I was driving to my friend's house once and I had to pull over on the side of the freeway to barf. You know, I started getting migraines. Like I took my vitamins one day and puked. I like couldn't sleep. I had insomnia. I was like just a shell of myself attempting to, you know, quote unquote, be normal and like date and have sex and stuff. Even like after the pandemic, not after the pandemic, we're still in the pandemic. But like, I just don't like post pandemic. I feel like we're just dealing with COVID forever now. But like post vaccine, I'll say even post like being able to get tested regularly and starting to feel like, okay, like I could date. I didn't have the energy 
like mental, emotional, physical energy to like go out and meet people and connect. It was really hard. It was very sad. And then discovering that it was all because I had had this worm living in me. I'm now, I feel like a totally different person. I'm like the healthiest I've ever been. And my musical is about this summer of discovering I had this tapeworm. Wow. Yeah. And the tapeworm comes out and then it's a puppet on stage with me. And <laughs> Yes, I'm so here for it. Yeah, so that's that's the musical that I'm working on. I'm making art out of this like horrible thing that happened. Beautiful. But yeah, like in terms of my sex life, and I think about like, wow, I've I haven't been in a relationship or haven't consistently had sex in my life like I want it for yeah, going on five years, but like two and a half of those years. I mean, A, there was a pandemic, and B, like I had an alien living inside my body and sucking up all my energy and nutrients. Wow. So you are in a whole new era now. What are your hopes for your sex life going forward? I want lots of sex. I want lots of playful, creative sex consistently. If I'm just like naming dreams. Yeah, yeah. Name all the dreams. And if there's any specific kinks you want to explore or like types of fantasies or types of partnership. I also am curious what poly-ish, I think you said you're poly-ish. Okay. Well, I think when I wrote Polly-ish, it was because like, I'm not really dating anybody. (laughs) Yeah. I have some like sex friends basically, but I'm not like, I'm not in like partnership with anybody in any kind of committed way. So it's like funny to say that I'm Polly when I'm like not in a relationship. Okay. But solo Polly vibes for now is what I've been using. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That sounds right. I really do want someone who wants to like build a life with me. I'm a fan of commitment. I want to like grow with someone in a long-term way. I do want kids and I want to like build a home with someone. And to me, that's like also the person that I want to be having like consistent, regular, fun, creative sex with. And then I think I also dream of like a life where I have a lover in every city that I frequent. And like, Mm. I think there's like kinds of sex that I want to explore. I've been interested in like group sex. I'm interested in like play parties. And I'm very much aware that I'm a person who like has the capacity and it's very likely that I'm going to like fall in love with multiple people over the course of my life. It's important to me that I get to explore that, including physical intimacy with them and sex. And I don't really believe in like a hierarchy in the sense of like prioritizing anyone's needs over anyone else's. But I also do very much see myself like with someone like a nesting partner and someone who's co-parenting with me, you know, for all the bucking of traditionalism that really is like present in my life. There's like that desire is really there. And we're always both right. No matter how traditional we look in some ways, like I'm a blonde haired, blue eyed farm girl, Mm. but that's not an accurate description of me. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like and, and it's still true. And I want to have as many gangbangs as possible and, like, fuck the world and, like, you know, and, like, probably not settle down. I don't know. You know, like, maybe. We'll see. Would you go back in time and give younger you a piece of sex advice? And if you would, what age or ages would you pick and what would you say? Fully knowing that time as it happened and unfolded in this reality is perfect, but just for fun. Yeah. In my 20s, really, like, I was so afraid of being, like, a quote-unquote tourist you know, to the lesbians or whatever. And like that inner critic, like, you know, turfy cis lesbian was like very present in my head who was going to think that I was like using them to experiment or something like that. And like, as a result, I 
kind of shied away from really exploring what queerness meant to me. And I think the advice that I would have really liked to hear back then was like, if you want to make someone feel good, you're going to figure out how to make them feel good. Like body parts don't, it's whatever, like you're going to figure it out. Yeah. Is there anything else sex related that you would like to noodle on with me and or any questions that you want to ask me that are sex related? Maybe like what advice would you give that younger version of me knowing what you know? Ooh, knowing what I know about you? Oh, no one's ever asked me that. (gasps) Well, and not just me, but like that sort of figure, like the young queer who's like afraid that they're not going to be good at whatever. What would you tell them? Oh, man. Honestly, the reason I ask other people for advice is because I never feel good at giving it. Like, I don't ever feel like I have an opinion or no. And so I think my, like, cop out but really true answer is always, like, just keep asking questions until you understand what's going on. But that has a lot of privilege with it. Like, I'm in a human body where I've never been afraid to ask. I'm just like, but why? But why? But why? And so I think, you know, then I would modify it to sort of just be like, Trust your curiosity. I just want all of us to trust our curiosity and trust that if there's a desire there, A, we deserve it. It doesn't matter what it is. Assuming, I mean, well, then we get into complicated questions about do no harm unto others. But I believe that when we have a true desire, a desire that is planted within us, it's going to lead us toward an experience or learning that is for our best growth and highest good. So I believe in following our curiosity and if any of our desires ever have impulses that are harm related we talk to other people about it and get the support Mm. we need just to acknowledge all parts of that yeah i'm stay curious ask questions where can people find you on the internet i'm on instagram at consent.wizardry i also have an art account called max silver makes art that's where my ceramics are and i'm moving my music over there also and my website is consentwizardry.com And links to all of those things are in our description below. Mia, thank you so much for being a guest on Sex Stories. Thank you for having me. This was great. I play music under the name Max Silver, and I'm writing a musical, and this is like the opening song. Can you hear that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Just a night.
Oh my god, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. I love thinking about like how many people are going to listen to this episode and be like, I've seen that profile. I love that. And I also just have to know now like where are you on dating apps and like how have those things gone? And have you gotten some of this that like has anyone written erotica about you yet? <laughs> <laughs> Not since it was put on my profile. No. I'm on a few dating apps. I'm on Field and Hinge and Raya. And I'll tell you, you know, this is like related to a lot of stuff that's been on my mind a lot recently, which is that as my kind of like visibility has grown and as my platform has grown, being on dating apps has gotten really complicated, especially because of like specifically what I do. Like, it's not like I'm. I don't know, an actor, like I am a musician, but that's not why people know me. So I've matched with people who are like, I follow you on Instagram and your work has really helped me open up my relationship with my partner. And I'm like, that's great. I'm very single. I feel you. Yeah. Or people are like, you know, full disclosure, like big fan of your podcast. And it's nice, you know, it's very sweet and touching, but it also over the last several years has like, created this sort of like heart sinking feeling because inevitably what happens is that they have a fantasy of me. Like they have a whole relationship with me that predates this connection. And then they bring all of that to our dynamic. And it is a power dynamic that is like nearly impossible to overcome. I say nearly because I have it's possible, but in a dating situation, it's really, really challenging. Yeah. Yeah. I have not had any success translating someone from like, I mean, here's the thing. I can hang with a worshiper, but there's different levels of worship, right? Like there's there's a real kind of the, oh man, dude, I'm 
I'm so excited to talk to you. Okay, what a delicious introduction to you. Well, first of all, who's your cute kitty cat? Oh, this is Lucy. Lucy, we love Lucy. Oh, we love Lucy. We love Lucy. It's short for <laughs> Lucifer. I love it. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.